Hi everyone, I'm Ione Gamble, founding editor-in-chief of Polyester Zine and author of upcoming book Poor Little Sick Girls. And I'm Maggie Matic, I'm a writer, researcher and curator and former research manager at Tate. But I'm also here as a huge lover and contributor of polyester zine. You're listening to The Art Of, a podcast series telling the human stories behind art. In this episode, we're exploring the art of our bodies. To mark the upcoming exhibition of Dame Paula Rago's work at Tate Britain, in this episode, we will be exploring the legacy of her work and taking a contemporary look at the themes it encompasses. We'll also be hearing from artists Polly Knorr and Brini Matic and their thoughts on Rago's work, the body and their practices as artists. Paula Rago was born in 1935 in Lisbon in Portugal and has been dubbed one of Europe's most influential contemporary figurative artists. Her large pastel paintings, etchings, sculptures, collages and drawings tell, in her own words, the stories of her many characters. Rago is particularly renowned for her revolutionary, uncompromising and subversive representations of women. Particularly evident of this is her groundbreaking abortion series. In 1998, in response to a failed referendum to legalise abortion in Portugal, Rago created the series of paintings to draw attention to the dangers of making abortion illegal. The effect of the series was so powerful that it's actually been credited with helping sway public opinion to form a second referendum. Another great example of her subversive representations of women is her Dog Woman series, produced in the mid-90s. In the paintings, her subjects are posed and assume dog-like positions, snarling, scavenging, howling, grooming and eating. And in her own words, to be a dog woman is not necessarily to be downtrodden. That has very little to do with it. In these pictures, every woman's a dog woman. Not downtrodden, but powerful. To be bestial is good. It's physical. Eating, snarling, all activities to do with sensation are positive. To picture a woman as a dog is utterly believable. So we're talking about Paula Rago's work today. And one of the reasons we wanted to bring Tate and Polyester together on this is that Polyester recently produced a zine that Paula Rago contributed to. So Ione, tell us a bit more about polyester for those who might not be familiar with polyester and also the wonderful issue Saving Ourselves, which Paula Rago's work was featured in. Yes, so polyester is a feminist arts and culture publication. Our strapline is Have Faith in Your Own Bad Taste and it's kind of about interrogating the things and the beliefs that we are instilled with by patriarchal society, I suppose, and why it's all a load of rubbish. We have been producing print issues for six and a half years. We also have an online platform, our own podcast called the Polyester Podcast. And we produced an issue called Saving Ourselves in 2019. At the end of 2019, it is all about reproductive justice and abortion rights. Around that summer was when there was a lot of legislation being tabled in the states about abortion restriction it was also the summer in which Ireland looked to legalize abortion and I think it was a time and still is a time in which like the rights of our bodies felt quite precarious not only in the sense and the context of abortion but in terms of many other things in terms of like existing 
under various levels of oppressive governments and basically like feeling a bit out of control it's interesting that this was made in like the before times of covid in which we all became much more out of control of our bodies and like also everything else around us but obviously when looking to make a body of work about reproductive justice in particular it felt like a very natural step to try to contact dame paula rego as like a long-time admirer of her work it's kind of like run as inspiration to polyester since right from the beginning when we did an exhibition in our first year of existence in 2015 that was initially inspired by her works and it was like a charity exhibition to raise funds for fgm support groups and my collaborator at the time cleo pepiat who is a fashion designer had kind of grown up around paula rego's work and showed it to me and since then I found it really inspirational so we reached out to her and her team and she was really really receptive which was really great to kind of re not recontextualize but like get her thoughts on the series now as opposed to just during the time it was made and really use it as like a chance to reflect on what has been what is still to come and what is the now yeah I really like what you said about not recontextualizing but almost revisiting that work and I think that's what was really strong about the zine was that it, it took a creative look at the issue you know through the lens of creatives and artists eyes and also brought kind of an intergenerational feel in the sense that there was lots of different folks from different lived experiences kind of tackling that issue from their kind of varied perspectives so if anyone hasn't read the zine, can they buy it? You can buy it as a digital edition, definitely, right now. Our shop is currently closed, but hopefully opening soon. And we are actually stocked at Tate. So maybe you can get it there if they still have copies. Nice. So we wanted to use Rago's work and its kind of ever-timely themes as a bit of a starting point for this episode. And we're going to be talking to some of the contributors to Saving Ourselves and we're starting off with Polly Noor. Yeah, Polly has been a contributor to Polyester for quite a long time now, I suppose. She was our 2018 cover star, and we have continued to work with her throughout these past few years. Polly contributed a series of illustrations to Saving Ourselves that was like about a little creature that kind of grew in a woman's body, which... I'm just such a huge fan of her work and I think she has a really good take and like similar to Rego's work like quite a visceral take on bodies and like expressing that as opposed to kind of tiptoeing around it if that makes sense. Yeah definitely I feel like when I first experienced Polly's work it was online and it was I, I know that you know she had this massive response to her work and I think it's because she has this crazy ability to kind of capture the reality of kind of living in maybe a marginalized body kind of behind the scenes and in private spaces and and that's also kind of an effect of Paula Rago's work I think so yeah there's a nice kind of nice parallel between their work I guess in that sense. We sat down with Polly and discussed her thoughts on Rago's practice in relation to her own. My name's Polly Noor. I'm an artist from London and I'm best known for drawing illustrations of women and their demons. I think in Paula Rago's work, what's interesting about like 
the way that she draws the female figure is that it's in no way decorative, which you see in lots of pieces. The body tells a story and it's not there just to like look good, which I think you see in lots of lots of artwork. It's like although she's drawing the physical like figure, it's I'd say it's more about the story or the emotion in the work. It feels really brutally honest and and familiar in a way where like when you look at one of her paintings it kind of feels a bit like a dream you've been in or or a nightmare or a childhood memory I think that that's the kind of artwork that I like that you when you look at it's just kind of a raw emotion instead of trying to necessarily like work out the concept or understand the story it kind of hits a nerve with with something inside of you she describes herself as like a shy private person like full of self-doubt which I found quite interesting because when you look at her work she comes across like her work comes across as like very bold and powerful and rebellious is I think is kind of how most people would describe her work but she was saying that in her personal life she normally just takes her anger and her emotion and puts all of her emotion into the work which I think that kind of like resonates quite a lot with how I feel about my work because kind of like using art as a way to express the feelings that you don't necessarily feel you can in your personal life and she was saying that uh, she likes to draw these pictures and draw the stories because in a picture you can change the story and bring justice and revenge as well which I think is like a really interesting way of thinking about art because I think often people will always ask like what your intention is with a painting or a piece of work but actually it's like I don't think that is true to most artists process she also talks about how like the picture allows you to to kind of I think she says draw all, all sorts of forbidden things and you can get at things that you don't realize um, and you're allowed to do outrageous things in the in the drawing which perhaps you don't feel like you can do in, in person in your personal life or when you're speaking about a subject as well I guess it just yeah it just it feels kind of like an experience that you can understand and sometimes it, it I mean, they're not, they're not always the most straightforward, like simple um, kind of scenes, but there's, there's something, sometimes they feel quite like dangerous almost, or kind of like, it can make you feel uncomfortable in a way. And, and I like that, that work, that's kind of the thing that gets me the most. I thought it was interesting how Polly kind of said that the reason that she likes Paula Rago's work is because of the weirdness and like the ability for it to go places where perhaps other people don't go because I feel like that's how a lot of people view Polly's work now. Yeah I think Polly's work when I first saw it felt really outrageous so it felt it's interesting to hear her kind of use that word to kind of describe what appealed to her about Rago's work but also kind of what she identifies in her own work as well. I think that sense of kind of bringing that really personal kind of more outrageous and censored experience into your work is something that's, you know, obviously a parallel between Polly and Rago's work. And particularly if you think about the abortion series or the dog woman series, these kind of quite private intimate acts that usually don't get shared or like represented, I suppose. But yeah, that word outrageous just really stood out to me in what Polly said, I think, because elements of her work definitely do feel really quite outrageous. And I think actually quite a lot of polyester's imagery 
and the artists that you work with are quite outrageous in quite a subversive way. If you think about outraging people as an act of subversion or as an act of resistance, I think. Yeah. Do you think that like we've kind of, we're kind of at a point in visual culture in which we expect things to be really explicitly presented to us when we were speaking to Polly and the way she mentioned how, you know, like she related to Paula Rago because they use art as a way to make the points that they can't say with words, which I thought was interesting, especially now in terms of like having social media, we expect artists to kind of be like all things to all people in terms of we expect them to make their work, but then also explicitly describe what it's about, if you know what I mean. I think that we don't read into things anymore. Like we take things on the surface quite a lot mm. so then we expect something else to do that work for us like whether it's an Instagram caption or a personal brand that you build or like mm. the expectation for artists to be self-explanatory beyond the art instead of just within it yeah absolutely I think that you know I completely agree there's such a kind of overwhelming amount of imagery circulating now on social media and you know various other platforms where artists can now share their work and their kind of visual outcomes and it's consumed in such a different way it's consumed as content which kind of has like it's you know it has a likeness I suppose to marketing which is supposed to have a really clear message that reaches you and speaks to you and I think what's really nice hearing Polly talk about her work but also in Rego's work is that it can take on so many different meanings to different people. And I think both the artists would be really comfortable in letting their audience kind of run free with the meaning of their work, you know, and, and make it mean something to them that may not have been the intended kind of message or the intended kind of, you know, meaning behind it, but it kind of takes on a life of its own when people see it in a gallery or see it on, you know, social media or, online you know I think it it kind of asks people to make their own meanings and their own ideas and their own kind of connotations from the work rather than giving it to you on a plate whilst also having a really strong and clear message I think and also a kind of activist spirit like Rego's work is really clear and, and pointed in its activism I think and I would say that about Polly's work as well and Rini's work who we speak to in a moment you know I think they're all very pointed in what they do with their imagery but they also give you this space to make it your own and to to make your own mind up about it. Hey there are you 16 to 25? Want five pound tickets to take exhibitions, free events, creative opportunities and special discounts? Join Take Collective Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter too. All right, bye for now. Do you think that we've kind of like, because it's interesting about going back to that outrage point and making like outrageous work. Obviously, Paula Rago's abortion series had such a visceral impact because of the fact that work was so visceral and so bold in that way and so physical. Like there's such physicality to it. And I feel that we 
as a culture are trying to become more coded in the way we present these things like like almost as if going back to the blue liquid on the sanitary pad like we want to make points but we're really scared to make them with our chest in case there's splashback is definitely the wrong word but like in case there's like a reaction that we can't cope with what do you think about that yeah definitely I think I think everything is at once really extreme these days but also extreme in like a really heavily sanitized way if that makes sense or like extreme but in a very commercial and commodified way which kind of demands a kind of sanitization if you know what I mean for something to be kind of consumable or digestible something this is maybe a bit off topic but something I always think about in this kind of context is like infographics and how infographics have become a really key way of sharing information which is great because it reaches a wider audience and you know you can share quite extreme or detailed information activist information through an infographic but at the same time it's it's an infographic so it's never going to have the nuance and the complexity that many of the topics that infographics are about kind of demand so I think that is maybe quite typical of like the current moment in visual culture I suppose that we're having maybe more extreme conversations but maybe in more kind of sanitized formats and ways Mm -hmm. And kind of like in a way that, I don't know if this is exactly what I mean, but like in a way that kind of fosters compliance instead of conversation, if that makes sense. So like you're presented mostly everything as fact rather than as emotive. Something at times the things that are presented to you as fact are emotive. But we kind of change these way, like this way of viewing, thinking in terms of that you look at Paula Rago's or Polly's or Rini's work and it's the emotion that leads you to the facts of the situation whereas now we're expecting the facts to lead us to the emotion of the situation which I'm not sure is necessarily super effective. Yeah absolutely and I think that that goes back to what Polly said about the body in Rago's work and I would say in Polly's work as well telling a story you know not just being there to be aesthetically pleasing or you know to make a nice painting it's there to do something um and that's you know one of the great things about the saving ourselves scene is that you kind of captured artists responses to a topic which you could write a book about you could write an infographic about you could have done a podcast about but you presented quite visual physical embodied almost like responses to that topic and allowed those to speak and again like allowed you know people to have their own response and formulate their own ideas and response to quite a complex topic which has a lot of theory and which has a lot of facts surrounding it I mean is that one of the reasons why you wanted to kind of engage you know predominantly visual artists to kind of tackle that was that kind of the emotionality of it was that key for you in pulling that zine together I think it's kind of key to everything in terms of that like I think the reason why we can connect with art for example 
And it's not as easy to immediately connect with, for example, theory or policy is entrenched in so many different things like class, language barriers, access in terms of like, can you access these things? And obviously the internet is breaking down some of those barriers in terms of access, but also there's, as I kind of previously mentioned, like a lot of falsity to a lot of infographics. They're very easily manipulated, whereas you can't really like, I mean, you can 100% manipulate people's emotions, but the body, particularly around reproductive justice, is such a topic that is so rooted in emotion and personal choice. And also with so many, new, not new nuances, but like newly discussed nuances that are coming to the table, because for a long time it was obviously legalized abortion because that was a barrier. And now it's like, okay, how do we look at reproductive justice through the lens of race, through the lens of gender, through the lens of like medical fat phobia or all of these different things that come into play. Where it's like now that kind of egg has been cracked open, we can really look at the nuances. And I think the best way to do that is to pass that conversation to a variety of different people across a variety of different mediums and give them free reign as opposed to trying to sculpt a story or a status quo that you think is right. And I think that's always how I approach things as an editor, just like, yeah, I might have a thought or an idea, but I'm never going to be fully formed on that. And there's so many different ways to talk about it that it should be displayed in the biggest variety possible. Absolutely. And in any conversations about the body, we're never going to, we may never have answers or definitive sets of information. You know, it's a constant, site of like exploration and reimagining and I think whenever we have conversations about body autonomy or reproductive justice we you know we need to keep them open in that way like you say because it's an ever-expanding set of ideologies thoughts you know movements so you know it's nice to look at artwork and artwork capturing a particular moment in a particular discussion you know that we may evolve from or return to and on that note I think it's very nice to speak about things as expansive as opposed to limiting especially when we can feel quite limited in our bodies and I think an artist that definitely deals with this expansion of like worlds is Rini Matic who is our next artist Rini produced the cover for saving ourselves our zine. Full disclosure too, Rini is also my wife. And for the podcast, we asked her to create an expanded version of the poem that she wrote and that formed the title for the Saving Ourselves Polyester Zine. Prayer for a body. Lose me the body that aborts me, the body that drops me, the body that starves me, the body that is bitten and bites. Lose me the body that loathes me, kills me. And find me a body that's going to love me for a while. A body that tries until I am birth. A body that holds and shakes me. A body that feeds me all that is good. Find me a body that knows how to kiss and be kissed in between it all. Find me a body that's going to love me for a while. A body strong and rich enough to raise me. To save me. And lose me the body that aborts me. The body that drops me. The body that starves me. The body that is bitten and bites. Lose me the body that loathes me. Kills me. Just for a while. The piece I did for the Saving Ourselves scene, which I named, was a 
mini photography series, I suppose, of two images side by side of a bathroom and a toilet stool in the polyester studios with a few lines that I'd written on the wall. So one of the images, the first image is that, and then the second image is the same shot, but with the writing wiped off, but it's kind of faint. You can still see it. And I went to the polyester studios to like work for the day and went for a wee and found myself in this cubicle and was like, this is, this is the set. This is the scene for where so many things take place in women and gender non-conforming people's lives. And so I went back and was thinking about these messages that we kind of send each other through graffiti and vandalism and how often in toilets they're so cryptid and sometimes you really find yourself in the right cubicle at the right time, you know, when someone's written something. And so I wanted to portray this kind of conversation and the intimacy of it. And then when I wiped it off, I thought it was interesting that it was still there, but you couldn't quite make it out. And I feel like the onus of the poem really like spoke to that, this idea of like wanting to be there for yourself and wanting to love yourself and look after yourself, but not knowing how to access it is a really big part of our lives, I think. So I wanted to write a poem that kind of stretched out what the work was that I did for the zine. But when I started to write, I realized that everything that I had written was so, it was a little bit fantasy, this idea of like, loving, feeding, birthing, the self felt really not how I was feeling on the day when I was writing, which is, yeah, I suppose a bit more realistic. And so I realized that there were all these opposites to these kind of affirmations that I had written and the opposites were a bit more realistic. And so I wanted to think about the idea of losing those more negative ideas and yeah, flipping them. I incorporate the body in almost everything that I do, either physically or conceptually, because I can't escape it you know it is this thing that I am navigating all the time and so a large part of my practice is a like video and photography practice and I'm really interested in the politics behind the camera and imaging the body especially the black femme queer body and the kind of pressure there is of this like the camera is a tool that has been so often violent and punishing to queer bodies, black bodies, trans bodies, femme bodies. And so to use that same tool to reframe is like quite an impossible job most of the time. But it's a job that I'm willing to, you know, keep, keep fighting for or like figuring out. And in turn, finding out and figuring out my own body through looking at it through this lens. Because, you know, Arthur Jaffer speaks about once you, once you put a camera on like a marginalized body, it is acting as a kind of oppressor and a kind of capturer and container. And so, you know, obviously the way to go about that isn't to stop imaging and filming these bodies, but you have to be aware of it. And so, I suppose there's that element of using the body in my work and then there's this other element of trying to use the body without using the body itself or like the body is a metaphor or other things as a metaphor for the body because I find it very relieving to kind of transcend and reimagine it as something else 
yeah, in this kind of way. So I use flags a lot and I talk about flags as bodies. And I suppose really it's just flags as bodies as representation, skin as flag, flag as skin, you know, all of these, these different ways that we can talk about and find ourselves. Sometimes it's easier to place ourselves outside of this body and think about it in in another context in order to kind of climb back in and um, sit more comfortably with it. There's this one painting called The Maids from 1987. And I think that the reason why this work is important in relation to my work or just the world and like the body as we're speaking about is because to look at it and to walk past it at a glance you wouldn't notice that it's subverting anything I think even the first time I saw it I kind of did this eye roll because there's this like image of this black maid that's kind of central and then there's like this scene that's going on around it and you're just like okay yeah here's a black maid sure and then you look at it and you're like hold up and it's like this idea of like drawing you in and fucking it up I always I try and do that in my work. I don't know if I'm that successful, but this idea of like pulling, pulling your audience in and then being like, lol, joke. Look what I'm actually doing. (laughs) Bell Hooks always talks about this idea of reimagining and reframing our trauma in order to not fantasize because it really isn't fantasy, her work. That's what's fab about it. It is just another way of thinking about, because I think that, Bell Hooks always talks about as well, being trapped in fantasy, especially as marginalized people. I talk about this as well. Like we always are striving for beyond and better. And so sometimes it feels like everything that we want is so hard to get and so far away and that it is this like futurism thing that will never happen. And I love that Paul Arego's work is like, it's a little bit of fantasy, but it's not fucking out of reach, you know? It's like, it could happen and it could be real and it comes alive and it could come alive. I think for me, Rini's work and hearing her reflect on it, particularly the work that she produced for the zine, kind of makes me think and reflect more on how the conversations around reproductive justice and body autonomy have kind of both like moved forward quite a lot but also in many ways have maybe regressed or taken on like kind of new forms and I think the other thing that emerges from hearing Rini talk there is you know how the white male heteronormative cisnormative gaze is still something that's definitely at large and that artists are still very much grappling with today and I think that's one of the great things about the zine is that it brings Paula's work amongst that of contemporary practitioners and it's striking to see how folks are still using some of these same representational tools to challenge norms today and kind of subvert the ways our bodies are gendered, policed, silenced and regulated, which is obviously something, you know, that women, trans people, people of colour, non-binary people, fat people, working class people, disabled people, gender non-conforming people, still, you know, is still work that we have to do kind of constantly and tirelessly. And I know that's really behind the ethos of what you do with polyester And Ione, I'd love to hear more about your kind of personal experience of bringing your lived reality and maybe struggles into the work that you do 
and into the ethos of polyester? Uh, I think it's an interesting one, like especially what Rini was kind of saying about bodies feeling heavy, I suppose, in that as like someone who I suppose has been in this space for like a while now, like, you know, looking at other people's work, just developing my own opinions, looking at the world, whatever. It's like, where does that heaviness come from and how do we resist it? So if you're asking those two questions, like the heaviness comes from, as you mentioned, like this this normative white patriarchal society and the resistance we seem to have chosen is, and not like we, I'm not talking about the people that are in conversation in this podcast, I'm talking about like the royal we of the world and marginalised people and how the status quo wants to accept us, I suppose, is what I mean, is like, we seek understanding, but like, why do we want to be understood? And obviously wanting to be understood is a very innate thing, like you want to be understood because you want to be accepted, you want to be accepted because you believe that leads to like feeling whole. But who do we want to be accepted by and why are we trying to be accepted by the things that oppress us? And it's interesting, like what you were saying about how looking at like people grappling with the gazes in particular with art, because I think like a theme running through both what Rini and what Polly was saying is that like, obviously Paula Rago's work kind of breaks out of the expectation of how we look at femmes in the context of art. And I think Although there has still been, there's been ongoing conversation about like what, for example, a female gaze looks like, what a queer gaze looks like, what a post-colonial gaze looks like, all of these things. Because we only have the framework we have, it's very hard to break out of that. Like it takes a lot of development and a lot of practice. And it's why perhaps one of the reasons why we have so few examples of it, like the other is obviously the suppression of people that do do that because it's not beneficial to the state is quite in like the patriarchal norm but I think that's why it resonated with me so much like kind of what both of them said like Polly referred to it as dreams and Rini referred to it as fantasy like how the pressure is always on marginalized people to validate their existences and so often that is through like pain like we want our pain to be seen felt and heard but then where does that leave room for fantasy and I think a huge part of polyester is about this idea of world building like building a world outside of this that's by itself and that's not to say it's immune from the seduction of these norms but like constantly trying to break away from it like what does a world look like that's away from these ideas of what beautiful is or what a body is and what we can or cannot talk about and how does that feed into a fantasy or dream because both of those things aren't necessarily even good or positive all the time but it's just about imagining a better world yeah definitely and I think that's such an important thing to focus on especially when it comes to something that can so often be painful like our bodies can be painful they can cause us pain they can put us through emotional turmoil they can be uncomfortable to live in but all of that pain and that turbulence and that emotion doesn't come from us it comes from external forces so how do we grapple with that basically i think that i think that's why i love the dog woman series because it really does present this like alternative universe where women could just purely pursue or where people i suppose could just purely pursue sensation without fear of reprisal and without fear of being judged and i also 
think that's something that really strongly shows through in both Polly and Rini's work. You know, Rini does beautiful films where she's dancing very freely in like public or private spaces that are important or significant to her and kind of shows what the body looks like when it's free, but also grappling with its constraints. And I feel like Polly's imagery, you know, Rini spoke there about like Rago's work, but also how she in her own work kind of has to step out of the body, recontextualize it before stepping back in. And obviously that's so evident in Polly's work in the sense that the body is, you know, very often like something that Polly kind of represents as something you can unzip and take off and like come to inhabit another private or personal free reality where the body can just kind of exist or exist in in ways that we're usually told we can't or shouldn't exist and you know I think that that's really interesting but you know the fact that these tools and kind of representational strategies are still being picked up and used by artists today it makes me sad in some ways because it shows that we're still fighting some of the same battles but at the same time like it shows the power in that imagery and the kind of need to kind of constantly push the boundary of representation and within within a very visual culture or within the arts and to kind of constantly question and challenge challenge things I suppose the imagery that we make and produce and proliferate it's kind of lineage lineage of representation and subversion yeah exactly i think that is a gorge place to wrap it up thank you so much to everyone that has listened and thank you to maggie for being a beautiful co-host my pleasure it's been an absolute privilege you've been listening to the art of If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. In the meantime, you can listen to past episodes which have looked at the art of hip-hop, love, failure and much more. You can see the Paula Rago exhibition at Tate Britain from the 7th of July until the 24th of October 2021. The exhibition is organised by Tate Britain in collaboration with Kunstmuseum Den Haag. This episode was a polyester zine production for tape produced by Ioni Gamble and edited and produced by Olivia Brin. The Art of oh.